This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area. It's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 707 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. I'm your head number one. My name is Matt Baum. It's spooky down here. It's nice and cool. I mean, yeah, that's kind of what you get when you're shut away from all natural sunlight. Right. I'm the internet's number two. Nope. I'm the internet's number two. Uh, well, sometimes I... (laughs) I'm the internet's Joe Patrick, but you can call me your head number two. In this episode, we're back to reviewing new comics from the last two Wednesdays, and the internet sure spoiled the hell out of one of them. After that, we'll tell you listeners about our must-read picks for next week. And finally, you'll get a taste of the hot, quality, and informative content that we offer to listeners that support us in our THN Extra, where we're giving you the TLDR version of Marvel's 2008 Secret Invasion event to compare and contrast against next week's Secret Invasion Disney Plus premiere, but it all... And you know what? Hey, if I if I do say so myself, it was of high quality and informative. Yeah, they're paid for it, so that's where the quality lives. This is the garbage that we shovel off. Are you saying that we try harder for them? Because I don't Absolutely. think we should admit that. <laughs> that's just the truth. Now shut your mouth, because it's review time in the sticker on! New comic book day, Wednesday, June 7th. We have got a pile of 12 new comics from the previous two new comic book Wednesdays to review, discuss, and of course rate each using our overly simplistic buy it, skim it, or leave it rating system. This week's pile features Steel getting back to business, Black Panther getting a new groove, the return of Battle Chasers, and more, but it all starts with them turtle boys versing... The Street Fighter Boys and girls. <laughs> I kind of like just versing the Street Fighter. They're just like a collection, you know. Oh, versing the Street Fighter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Joe's right. We begin with TMNT versus Street Fighter number one. It's from IDW. It's 32 pages. It is $3.99. This was written by Paul Aller with cover and art by Ariel Medell, colors by Sarah Meyer, and letters by Ed Dukeshire. Here is your solicit. When a prestigious martial arts tournament invites fighters to travel to Atlantic City and test their skills, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles jump at the chance to compete. Nothing says prestige like Atlantic City. Hey, they got some pretty nice casinos there. But a big Uh stage means big competition, and the world-famous street fighters have shown up in force to prove the mettle of the psycho-powered fighting forms. I don't... What? What? I don't know what that is. I don't know. It's a thing, I guess. I haven't played a street fighter game in like 20 years, so I have no idea. I've played it in less than that, and I don't know what the psycho-power is. As if that's not enough of a challenge, there are rumors of competitors disappearing and the identity of the contest benefactors is shrouded in mystery. It's Boss Hog. Who would have guessed? Ah! Don't miss the matchups of your favorite fighters. Roscoe P. Coltrane. (laughs) Don't miss the matchups of your favorite fighters as the half-shell heroes face the likes of Ryu, Guile, Chun-Li, and more. TMNT vs. Street Fighter kicks off a five-issue fight card of fury starting, well, yesterday. The last week. (laughs) Yes. IDW's really long solicit. It really is. 
IDW TMNT vet Paul Aller pits them turtle boys against them street fighter gang. And it's about what you'd expect. Baxter Stockman and M. Bison are the bad guys. Spoiler alert. They're teaming up to pull some shady stuff. And of course, there's a fighting tournament involved. Now, like a porn flick, no one is coming to this one for the story, but with the right artist, I'd be willing to read an all-out martial arts fighting tournament between these two properties. Unfortunately, the art isn't great. It's fine. It's just really chunky, and it's chunky enough to come off a little silly, which doesn't work with the tone. There's humor here, not that it landed, but I would have liked to see something either a little more in the style of the Monthly Turtles book or something that leans into that kind of classic manga look of the Street Fighter comics art. Team NT vs. Street Fighter was light on story and lacking in flash, which could make the next four issues a real grind. I'm going to give it a skim it. It's not terrible, but I feel like they missed an opportunity here. So I thought this was okay. You know, it, I didn't mind the art so much. I, I thought that it was kind of a nice balance between the super stylized Street Fighter kind of manga anime look and the comic book Turtles look. It was kind of like a nice blend. Uh, they met in the middle. Sure. It's it, like, it feels very low stakes, right? It's just like, right. oh, they're in a fighting tournament. They want to see who's the best. You know, who's the, they want to be the very best like no one ever was. And- that's Pokemon, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, but also just, a famous tournament, right? Like, come on, right? But I think they missed a chance here, like where they could have made this interesting had they leaned into what makes you know TMNT look great at IDW right now, sort of paying homage to the old Laird and uh, Eastman stuff, right? Eastman and, then, and Laird, yeah, yeah, and then mix that with the guy, uh, Shinkiro, who's like the manga guy that made that Street Fighter look that we think of, that painted manga sexy look on the cover of every Street Fighter game. Mix those styles. Show us that fighting tournament, one issue of each, or maybe the fight, maybe it changes with the fights or whatever, you know? Then maybe I forgive something that's otherwise, like you said, pretty low stakes. Skim it, <laughs> you know? I don't read the Turtles books, so at first I was like, wait a minute, isn't Baxter Stockman a fly? Is he not a fly? All of a sudden, the new uh, Jenica was there, right? The, 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 the new female turtle. I was like, oh, wait, yeah, I forgot about <laughs> Yeah, I forgot. And so it was, it was suddenly referring to like present day TMNT stuff, and I was like, okay, well, yeah, I don't really know their current status quo, but whatever. It's like it, something, some things from your youth are evergreen. You know, like you might not know all of the comings sure. and goings of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but you can look at a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic and kind of understand the score. You know what you're in for. Yeah. yeah. And this is what I expected. I, I'm giving it a skim it because yeah, like you said, it's, it's, it's fine. It's, it's fine. not great, but you know, it's also not bad. Let's shift gears from low stakes fighting to high stakes crime. It's Sins of the Sultan Sea number one from AWA. It's 32 pages for $3.99. It's a lot of S's. It's written by... What's that? It's a lot of S's. There's a lot of S's, yeah. Sins of the Sultan Sea. <laughs> Sins of the Sultan Sea. Wow. It's written by Ed Brisson with art by C.P. Smith. Letters by Hassan Otsmani Elhau. Cover by Tim Bradstreet. There is an S in every single category of, oh, yeah, this, uh, of this creator's list. It's just the S's as far as the eye can see. Here's your solicit, part of it anyway. 
Wyatt, a professional thief living off the grid, is recruited by his brother for one last job. Their target? An armored car traveling down a desolate stretch of California highway. But when it turns out that their target is carrying not gold bars, but redacted. Listen up, AWA. You can't be spoiling the story's big twist like that. Knock that shit off. If I had read that solicit first, I'd have been ticked off. Fortunately, I read this on the recommendation of Mark Orenberger, one of THN's faithful listeners and a regular over at our Discord. Thank you, Mark. The story starts out like a bleak tale of a broken former crook lured back for one last score. You know the drill, we've seen this movie a dozen times, but Brisson throws so many curveballs at the reader that I had no idea where the story was going to go at the end of, by the end of the issue. I can't say any more for fear of spoiling things, but suffice it to say that what seemed like a time-worn tale of down-and-out criminals is shaping up to be anything but. In the back matter, Brisson writes about the history of the Salton Sea, a very real place in California. I'd heard the name, but otherwise I didn't know anything about it, and it is absolutely fascinating, and I totally understand why a writer would want to set a story there. C.P. Smith is an artist that I first became aware of in the pages of Marvel's New Invaders series from the early 2000s. Remember that shit? Oh, yeah. I remember not caring for his work too much back then, but that was a long time ago. Smith's art here is a lot different than I remember. There's an intentional, unpolished look to it that I kind of liked. And I don't mean that it's sloppy or anything like that. It's more like he's more concerned about conveying a thought or the idea of something rather than precisely placed yeah, lines. I'll give you that. And the fluidity, that fluidity leads to some expressive character work. The flip side is that he leans pretty heavily on digital assistance, especially when placing shadows and backgrounds. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with using those tools if you can make them your own, but I personally found it kind of distracting to the point where I was looking through each panel and identifying what he actually drew and what he obviously did not. Overall, though, I do think the art and the colors give the book a great kind of ghostly or ethereal aesthetic. Not that there's necessarily anything supernatural going on, to my knowledge, yet. <laughs> Sins of the Salton Sea, number one. <clears throat> Sins of the Salton Sea, number one, is a great read. The art's not perfect, but the story engaged me enough that I'll definitely be back for more. Thank you for the recommendation, Mark. I'm giving this a buy it. This is a great read. I, I also really enjoyed it, and I agree with your take. I'm not going to say that anyone is cheating when they use digital effects. It's not cheating. It can be used to really heighten the look of work, but I shouldn't notice it. It's the same way when we watch, when I watch anime, I'm fine. If you want to mix CG in with animation, great. Don't make me notice it. Do it slick. You know, it's like, um, if you go back and watch the post Superman, like the early episodes of justice league and, and justice league unlimited, you know, the, the, the Tim verse stuff after the first wave, right? Anytime they got in their ship to go anywhere, it cut to an obvious. Yeah. CGI rendering of a ship. And it's right. like, that looks wrong. That yeah. looks bad it, and wrong. It's embarrassing. And like, and I get, and technology has come far enough that we can do better. That's all I'm saying. I'm well, not saying I'm, I can I, again, be a better I'm artist. Not, I'm not saying that at all. I'm not taking anything away from it. I very much like the book. I'm giving it a buy it, but it does that. It sticks it, out. It bothered me. It sticks it, out. It, it bothered, bothered me, me too. Yeah. It, and I'm, and look, it's also okay. It is a choice. It, uh, artists, it, 
make your own choices. If it's your choice, if it's your artistic style to put drawn characters onto placed backgrounds, like if that's what you're going for, great. I just, I don't, I don't care for it. We're going to talk about another artist with a, a lot of style that doesn't make those choices later. And I think that this artist could get away with just doing everything in their style and it would be better as opposed to, you know, trying to do the digital stuff. I would have found it less distracting. Right. Very to, and maybe it's to try and give the book a more realistic feel, but I don't know if it needed that. Honestly, I don't know if it needed it. No, this, I don't either. Again, I don't either. Buy it. All right, Joe Patrick, I'm dragging your ass straight to hell for in hell. We fight. Number one. Um, this is, oh, no. This is from Image. It's 32 pages, 399. It's not the hell you're thinking of. In fact, it doesn't even seem that bad, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> More like a heck. <laughs> Written by John Lehman. Main cover and art by Jock. Not J-O-C-K. J-O-K. Jock. This is a different Jock. Here's your solicit. Series premiere! Thank you, Image. Life in hell ain't easy. Demons try to torture you all eternity. Monsters want to eat you. There's a stunning lack of reliable indoor plumbing. And it's almost impossible to get ice cream. At least until today, when three condemned teens and their annoying tag-along demon frenemy embark on a daring scheme to hijack a demon lord's delivery truck. What happens next will take them on an epic journey across the underworld, an infernal excursion of nonstop excitement and danger and adventure. Presenting a devilishly fun new series from multiple Eisner winning writer, letterer, John Lehman, who worked on Chew and Suicide Squad, Kill Arkham Asylum, and Argentinian superstar artist, Jock. John Lehman is back with his second monthly title, but unlike his Outer Darkness title at Skybound, In Hell We Fight is a little lighter in tone, and it leans on humor and camaraderie for this team of misfit ghosts lost in hell. Not all the humor landed again here. <laughs> it's going to be, uh, you'll hear me say that a few times. And it seemed at times like I had missed some dialogue or maybe even a whole panel. There's that hope opening scene where like you get a couple pages of the kid doing his thing and then bang, he's in hell. And suddenly he's talking about ice cream, like just on his own. It's the first thing you see him doing in hell. And I go, blah, blah, blah. what? <laughs> it, it had it just said something like, three weeks later, you know, or something along those lines, I'd pick up, oh, we're picking up in the middle of the action. Got it. Layman doesn't mess around with his plot at all. Like I mentioned by page four, the main character is dead and in hell, but they're, I mean, he's not even really the main character. It's yeah. I mean, maybe he's not. They just guys, start but, with that character. I they guess. They start with him. Yeah. Yeah. But the setup is really fast and this version of hell just didn't feel real hellish to me. Jock's art is very good. His style is somewhere between Mike Mignola and Eduardo Rizzo with heavy black lines and angular yeah. characters. His choice of color palette for hell, though, like just kind of threw me off. It's their hell. I get it. Maybe they're doing something different here. But again, you've got these touchstones of like red demons and stuff and just sort of a pastel wasteland hell. Fine. The story and art both left me feeling like I just kind of missed some info and it made it kind of difficult for me to get on board. Nothing wrong here, but it also wasn't hilarious. So I'm giving it a skim it. Like, I'm certainly not an expert. Like, I'm not a theologian or anything, but I know that there are lots of literary and, and film depictions of hell that aren't the stereotypical fire and brimstone For hell. sure. And so that didn't bother me at all, even though there were like, that looks like a stereotypical demon. 
Like, yeah. it, it didn't, I just went with it. They said it was hell, so it's hell. I guess. Okay? And like, the title of the book is In Hell We Fight. And the right. solicit says, so like, hell is horrifying. Like, I, like, this doesn't look horrifying. I feel like as a huge death metal guy, like I know what hell looks like. And were they even really well, they, nothing about it? Like the cover doesn't look horrifying. Either, I know. So I'm not sure know? where you would even get that, that idea. And so, you know, I just kind of went along with whatever layman said. It's like, okay, that's, it's hell. It's fine. And so, um, I, I really enjoyed the little vignettes explaining how these children ended up in hell. Like I, I, I love like the character we start off with. Like he, the only reason he's in hell is because he tortured frogs and got eaten by a frog god or whatever. And uh, that was not in hell. There was a frog demon on Earth that took on him Earth, to right? Hell, and it, and it dra- like it ate him and dragged him to hell, okay. right? And the girl was like the youngest yakuza assassin, and she killed dozens of people, but they were all jerks. So you know she's in hell, but it's not like she's not being tortured or anything. I, I thought it was cute, but I do agree that some of the humor was just like, <laughs> okay, you know, it was clever, but it wasn't like, I didn't laugh out loud. You know, I didn't, it, it kind of lacked that spark. I think that Chu had when it debuted. Yes. Where it was also a very heavily stylized, bizarre take on a concept, but it was also very, very funny. And this it wasn't the same level of funny. Uh, the art I did like quite a bit. I don't necessarily agree that it's a pastel color palette because that invokes a certain kind of image. I think it was pastels that had been washed way, way out. And so, yeah, it was pink and purple and green, but also like so muted. Like, you know, a world with no joy and love. So, I don't know. I'm going to give this a skim it. I agree with a lot of what you said, but I think maybe it worked for me a little bit better, or at least I didn't get hung up on something. Matt, we are 20 minutes into this damn podcast, and we have yet to discuss a single superhero. I was proud of you. I really was for a minute there. Well, (laughs) get ready to be disappointed, because now it's time for Steelworks. Number one from DC Comics. It's 32 pages for $3.99. It's written by Michael Dorn. Yeah, that's one. That that Michael Dorn. With art by Sammy Basri. Colors by Andrew Dalhouse. Letters by Rob Lee. Cover by Clay Mann. Here's your solicit. Forging the future. This solicit is also very long. Yeah. The metropolis of the future is here today, but can it survive a terrorist who's out for revenge against its builder, John Henry Irons, a.k.a. Steel, and his company Steelworks, and who possesses secrets that could undo everything John has worked so hard to build? While John's professional life is firing on all cylinders, his personal life is even better, and his on-again, off-again relationship with Lana Lang might be back on permanently. Oh, it is. Now he must decide whether it's time to give up being Steel once and for all. But does John even know who he would be without his superhero identity? How does the other steel, John's niece, Natasha Irons, feel about his momentous decision? And does any of that matter if Steelworks crumbles around him when he lacks the superpowers to fight back? Writer, Michael Dorn, you know him and you love him, teams up with artist Sammy Basri, who you might remember from books like Harley Quinn and Catwoman, to bring you the next chapter of Steel's saga in this not-to-be-missed Six issue miniseries. Sorry, sorry, Steel. I thought you were going to get your own ongoing, but it, it was not meant to. Be. If it sells, it will. It's, everything's a mini. Yeah, right. Remember? If it sells, we'll get a second arc. Everything's a mini. My knee jerk reaction was panic when DC announced that the actor that brought life to Worf in Star Trek The Next Generation and to Steel in Superman the Animated Series was going to be writing 
a series about John Henry and Natasha Irons for Dawn of DC. Matt and I have suffered through a long list of Hollywood writers and actors brought to comics for name recognition, and it has not been great more often than not. I was so happy to find that Steelworks number one is actually really solid. Dorn seems to have a very good grasp of John Henry's personality and his relationship with his niece, Natasha, also named Steel. Knock it off, DC. Yeah. Y- you know what? On the gang hang, I said give her a code name. That let her be steel and give John Henry a new code name. Call him Irons. Irons. Steel and Irons, you know, or whatever. (laughs) Oh, here you go. Call him Irons Man. There (laughs) There you go. I like it. He also brings John's relationship with Lana Lang back into the spotlight, revealing that the couple have gotten engaged. Mazeltov. I'd honestly completely forgotten that they were even an item, but they've been together since the Superwoman series way back at the start of the rebirth era. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. I am not entirely sold on John's insistence that Metropolis's heroes give up their gigs so normal citizens can learn to stand on their own. Frankly, seems kind of irresponsible. Yeah, when the parasite shows up, that's yeah, that could be a real problem. Like, don't worry, I'll handle this. I'm just yeah, some guy. Like, uh, Dead. Yeah, it's like that. It's like that scene in Spider Man. It's like you mess with one of us, you mess with right. all of us. Go get them, kids. <laughs> all right. And I know that there's more to it than that, so we'll see. I haven't seen Sammy Basri's art for a while, but he does a pretty good job here. It gets a little stiff sometimes, and I think his steel, I think his depiction of steel in the armor is a kind of clunky. But otherwise, really nice, especially paired with Andrew Dalhouse's colors. I love John Henry Irons, and I love Steel as the less shitty Iron Man of the DCU. Fortunately, it looks like he's in good hands with Dorn and Basri. I'm giving Steelworks number one a buy it. it. It's not perfect, but I really enjoyed it. I think you liked it more than I did. I didn't hate it, but I got just like you. I kind of not following the whole like, and even Natasha says like, so let me get this straight. You don't want the super people to be super people. And he's like, no, I want the super people to be super people, but I also want the little guy to be super people or make buildings that can be super building like Okay, you're going to have to sell me on this one. Like you're trying to improve the infrastructure of Metropolis it, and protect it from attack and get put it. the people to work and get them invested in the city's sure. success and protect. But maybe stop saying we're going to not call Superman when Doomsday shows up. Right. Like, you know? Well, not just that. Like, I don't think there's ever been a worse time to make this argument when you literally have 14 super people. It's one thing if Superman was the only one and he had to go off planet. I get it. But now we got there's super twins and two different super boys and another Superman and like, ah, oh, there's a super woman and a super girl. And you're like, there's so many super people. <laughs> it's a very hard time. That's yeah, true. To make that argument. I agree. Sammy Bassery does not do a good job of this armor. I don't like it. I don't, it doesn't look like steel to me. It looks like he's wearing a skin suit with a big metal S on it and it's bulky. I I think it looks like he's wearing a coat that's too big for him. Yeah. And it's stiff. I I just don't like the look of it. I don't, I know he didn't do the redesign of Natasha, but I still don't like that at all. The hood. I liked the way it looked better than I liked steel's armor in this. I suppose. Yeah. I just think there's a lot of, there's a lot of little things that I just didn't buy. And by the end of it, it added up to, I'm not going to read any more of this. I'm giving a skim it. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. I, I, I did like it. And I, I want to like steel. I want to like and that I, character. And I, sure. And well, I know that you like steel. Yeah. It's, I want to see how Dorn's story plays out. It, it can't be, it, it's got to, there's got to be more to it than like 
stop being superheroes. There has to be. It, like, because that's not a good it, hook. Everything it, else is fine. Because it makes no sense. Right. He writes it well. Like, there was nothing... I didn't think the dialogue was bad. It's just like... The dialogue is good. The character like, stuff is good. What is the yeah. mission? I, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, that's his plan? This is the mission? Okay. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand. I understand where you're coming All right, Joe, I give up. It's superhero time for me, too. Let's talk about, well, super anti-hero, maybe? I don't know. Let's talk about Loki. Number I, one. I, I don't know, man. I think you get a pass because he's a Norse god. Okay. Let's talk about Loki number one, 2023, because there's been a bunch of Loki number ones. This is from Marvel. It's 32 pages. It's $3.99. It's written by Dan Waters. Cover art by Dustin Wynn. Art by German Peralta. Not German Garcia, Joe Patrick. Who Don't you, put that on me. You went right along with it. You're the one that said he drew Kazar, and I was like, Joe knows this stuff. I don't know. All right. Yeah, uh-huh. and you were like, yep, one. sounds good. I'm yep. the good looking one. Colors by Michael Spicer with letters <laughs> by VC's Travis Lanham. Huge shout out to Victorious Cockblock, who has picked up a bunch of newbies recently. They got a stable now. It's crazy. I mean, I think Travis Lanham has been around for a while, but yeah, a virtual calligraphy. <laughs> uh, Victorious Cockblock is... <laughs> Is a studio. It's a lettering studio. They got a lot of people. Here's your solicit. Loki saves the Marvel Universe? Question mark. He may be the benevolent god of stories now, but Loki's past as the god of lies returns to haunt him when ancient powerful weapons he once built end up scattered across the ten realms. I mean, they're kind of weapons. At first they're not, but they turn into weapons. But that's okay. Loki must track down these weapons before they fall into the wrong hands and bring about Ragnarok. Surprising guest stars, exciting new characters, and startling twists await in this all-new miniseries by Rising Stars, Dan Waters, who recently worked on Sword of Azrael, and German Peralta, who worked on Black Panther. Waters is a writer that I've been watching for a while, and after his work on the recent DC Sandman universe, only seems fitting he gets a shot at Loki. The opening pages read like a perfect Norse poem with Excellent lettering from Lanham, by the way. It's got like chains around the boxes and everything. I love it. It sets up, yeah, yeah, sets up Loki's latest problem of his own causing. The art is excellent, and Spicer's textured colors bring Peralta's dwarves, ice giants, and Floridians to life. The scenes (laughs) on Jotunheim are probably the most impressive. There's a scene where like Loki goes to the front door to confront the ice giants that are mad at him and they're always plotting against him, but he's so much smarter than him that you know he's going to get out of it, but he swings the door open wide and it's almost like this markered, textured work on the art with snow blowing around and it's just gorgeous. I mean, look, I know you're like a caveman, but digital digital tools act the same way in the digital world as brushes act in the real no, world. No, I understand so, that. I'm just saying it makes it, it it's so good as opposed so to some you of you can very easily make something look like it's painted. Sure. You know? But it, it's yeah. it's one of those things like we talked about earlier where it's a digital effect that just melts right in the art and looks beautiful. Yeah. I you mean it's not even effect. It's just like that's the, it's the brush. Right. It's the tool. You know? Water Yeah, but I understand what you're saying. Waters has a fantastic grip on Loki's character. You can tell he was a fan of Kieran Gillen's take on Loki, and he's keeping the trickster god as aloof and as entertaining as ever. I am super pumped to see where this one goes. Giving this a buy it. This was fantastic. I agree. It just was. 
the art is, is wonderful, even after I discovered, oh, wait, this is the wrong German. All Everything about this was a treat. I love the idea that the only reason any of this is happening is because Loki tried to do a good thing, but then also that the only reason he tried to do a good thing was so that he could just ignore them, ignore the frost giants and do whatever he wanted. Yeah, pretty much. You know? So it's like a yeah, perfect Loki. It's like, yes, you're the king and you're benevolent and you're doing right by your people, but you're only doing right by your people so that you can then ignore your people. Right. Uh, I love that he's the God of stories and that it's basically hinted at in this issue without being flat out said that like, the archetypical Florida man, as in like Florida man accidentally swallows baby gator, you know, or whatever. Well, the, the newspaper in this one said Florida man tries to play, tries to trade baby gator. He says is himself. Right. And, and <laughs> they're, they're so like Florida man you know. is Loki. Yeah. And so Loki is the origin of Florida man, which is wonderful. And Loki was messing around with the alligator version of himself. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and so like, there's all this, there's all this, Crazy fun stuff. And, but also then, there's also this very serious side because we have to remember that even though Loki is, you know, more or less on the side of angels now, he once was very, very much not. And we are dealing with something that he did eons ago when he was the god of evil. Yeah. And it's, uh, and it's, uh, it's straight out of actual Norse mythology. It's so cool. This is a huge buy it. I really loved it. Loved it. We got to be about thirty minutes in now. Let's speed things up a bit. What do you say? And I says, "All right, I, I already had, a, I had my dose, I had my dose a second ago, but now it's really starting to kick in. I'm really starting to feel good about this. It's the Flash, the Flash 800 from DC Comics. It's 48 pages for 4.99. Felt like more than that, but I guess it's 48. Really? That's it? Yeah, it did feel like. Yeah. That. Okay. I mean, it didn't like not in a bad way. It was just like there's a lot of content content in here. It's written by Jeremy Adams, Mark Wade, Joshua Williamson, Jeff Johns, and Simon Spurrier, with art by Fernando Pessarin and Eau Claire Albert, Todd Nock, Carmine D. Gian Domenico, Scott Collins, and Mike Diodato Jr. Colors and letters by Various, covered by Torin Clark. Here's your solicit. An oversized anniversary issue concludes writer Jeremy Adams's acclaimed tenure with special guests Mark Wade, yada, 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 joining the celebration. As the Adams run races to the finish line, get a prelude to the new Dawn of DC chapter of the Fastest Man Alive's Adventures from the dream team of Simon Spurrier. You know him from Coda and Detective Comics and Mike Diodato Jr. You know that dude, he's everywhere. Might be the first time I've ever seen him draw a DC comic though. Yeah, I think so, right? I, I mean, so. I don't know. Nothing's springing to mind. DC celebrates 800 years of The Flash with a jam-packed milestone issue that's nothing but pure joy. Outgoing creators Jeremy Adams and Fernando Passarin end their run with a smile, showing why, more so than any other city, villainous outsiders absolutely should not come to Central City. I thought that that was a delight. Legendary writer Mark Wade teams with artist Todd Knock for a fun throwback story to Wade's impulse days. The series' previous creative team, Joshua Williamson and Carmine D. Gian Domenico, reunite for a true love letter to the Flash family. A little bit Barry-centric, but it still had everybody in there. If there's a weak link in this issue, it's Blitzback by Jeff Johns and Scott Collins. 
the duo revive Zoom, their take on the reverse flash. And it reads more like a setup for a story somewhere down the line instead of something that celebrates Wally. And when you look at what's to come, it kind of reads like a setup for a story that will probably never happen. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's how it felt. Or maybe an older story they were going to use for well, something else that they I, plugged. I'm going to get to that. Yeah. Oh, okay. 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 Uh, aside from one line of dialogue referring to more recent stories, this could easily have been a prelude to the character's introduction 20 years ago. That, this is not to say that I didn't enjoy their story, but it does feel a bit out of place. The final story sets the stage for the upcoming Flash relaunch by Cy Spurrier and Mike Diodato Jr. Spurrier has Wally's voice down pat, and the tone of his dialogue between Wally and Linda is spot on. Plus, he's able to approach Morrison levels of sci-fi strangeness that will be a really fun take on the character. Diodato. I had my doubts. Hey, you're shaking your head. I thought the guy pulled it off. I don't like it. I get it. I thought he did a good job. His art is a kinetic explosion of bizarre multidimensional weirdness. There are a couple of stiff panels here and there, but the weirder he gets, the better it looks. Okay, I agree with that. I think you're right. The weirder he lets himself get, the more I like it. It's the other stuff where... It's not quite weird yet. We're sitting at a dinner table or we're doing whatever. And it's just like, there's nothing wrong with that. You're doing it again, Mike. You're doing it. You're drawing, you're, you're drawing pictures of photographs of people's faces. No, see, like now you say, you say that. And I actually thought the exact opposite because Mm. I just so happened to be looking up uh, secret invasion type stuff when we were doing the extra. And I saw a panel of uh, Mike Diodato Jr.'s Norman Osborn from Secret Invasion or from uh, Thunderbolts in 2007, 2008. And it looks literally exactly like Tommy Lee Jones. He's not doing that shit here. Yeah, it's he not is. happening. I'll here. send you a panel right now. And I don't know who it is. They're not somebody famous, but this is absolutely photo reference picture of a woman. No question. People use photo reference all the time, Matt. I don't disagree. But just like he was using Tommy Lee Jones's face, he's using some woman's face here. It's almost, it's, com- it's like he drew over the photograph. Where we had a problem with Mike Diodato Jr. is when he was drawing famous people as characters. And I, he's not doing that. I here. had more than that. Sure, that's egregious because we recognize the famous person. But my uh, further problem with it is it doesn't matter if they're famous or not. You're obviously tracing a photograph. I do have an actual criticism. Mike, you have got to stop it with the individual chiclet teeth, my guy. Every single time you draw Flash with his teeth showing, he looks like a braying horse. I'm not saying that you avoid teeth altogether, but you don't have to pencil in each little space between them. Less is more. Please. I think you can avoid them. I'd be fine if it was just white. You know, that'd be fine. <laughs> just like That's a, what I mean. Yeah, it's white just like bar, you know? the impression of teeth. That's all yeah. I need, right? I know that he's got teeth in his mouth, but you don't have to draw each actual tooth. It looks weird. Flash 800 is not only a fitting end to an excellent run by Jeremy Adams, but it is a true celebration of what Wally West means to the Flash legacy. I absolutely adored it. I'm giving this a huge buy it. I know that you didn't really care for the art in the last story, but overall, I thought this was a home run. No, overall, definitely. And I like the last story. Like, the story is good. I like how weird it's going to get. I just still feel like and we'll talk about the entire book. I'm not just going to harp on this whole time, but I still feel like his art is too stiff to do a flash book. Maybe he'll sell me on it. I don't know, but this didn't. The rest of the book had a great time with, I agree the blitz back thing. 
I don't know what Jeff Johns is doing anymore. Honestly, I, I'm not thrilled about any of his writing anymore, to be perfectly well, I mean, honest. There's nothing bad about it. There's I just don't understand it. how it fits into anything. It has no place here. Other than yeah. they worked on the flash at one point and this was a villain that was a major part of it. Okay, fine. But yeah, I don't buy that zoom is going to come back like this in this fashion and have anything to do with where we're going with this new flash. This is a buy it. I think it's too bad. What happened to Jeremy Adams run and I've gone back and started reading it. It's great. He is great. And I think he kind of so got good. It's so, so, so good. He got pushed aside a little bit. I don't totally understand why. We'll see if the new series is going to be any good. This is definitely a buy it. And props to DC, $4.99 for 48 pages. I feel like they could have easily been like, you know what? It's eight bucks, kids. Suck it up. It's a giant issue, whatever. Well, I mean, Marvel's going to do that at some point here in this in these proceedings, or yeah. maybe it's in one of our picks, I forget. But like, there's a book that we're going to talk about that's $8.99. It's like, okay, well, you don't have to do that. No. You, <laughs> you don't. don't have to do it that way. You don't. That's your choice. New comic book day, June 14th. Unfortunately, Joe's review of Battle Chasers was lost when Ezra Miller tampered with our timeline. Watch for the written review on TwoHeadedNerd.com. Hitting the brakes on the superhero stuff to talk about Haunt You to the End, number one. It's from Image. It's 32 pages. It's $3.99. This is written by Ryan Cady. Who worked on Warframe and Infinite Dark recently, with art and cover by Andrea Moody, who is done, who did Maniac of New York and Port of Earth, with letters by Frank Savetovic. That's my guess, anyway. Here's your solicit: a ghost story for the end of the world in a not so far future, rife with climate disasters and worldwide instability. An eccentric billionaire and his crew of disgraced journalists. A radical doctor, a TV demonologist, and a squad of hard-bitten military contractors set out to prove the existence of life after death. But even if their mission is a success, the truth behind the most haunted place on Earth may not be the comforting revelation the world is hoping for. When I read Near Future Climate Disaster, my brain goes straight to Mad Max, but this near future might be set like is Mad next- Max really the near? Well, yeah, I guess it yeah, is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> road. I mean, Road Warrior is near future for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, Mad Max is only like two years after that. Yeah, but I kind of <laughs> feel like the more Mad Max movies they made, the more extreme they made it. When I read Near Future Climate Disaster, my brain goes straight to Mad Max. But this near future might be like in the next five years. The premise is a quick but effective setup. A team is assembled by what seems like a crazy billionaire. The main character is a skeptic. But as he's pulled into the story, the weirdness really begins to build. Moody's art is more grounded than his previous work, but his stylized watercolors are still here. He just keeps them really subdued until something super creepy starts to happen. And in the back matter, they show like his process. When you look at a book like Maniac of New York, it just looks really loose and wild and kind of dreamy. But like when he's just doing his pencils and inks, his art is like really clean, really sharp. And it's a choice that he makes to wash everything out. It works so well here. Haunt You to the End sets up an excellent horror premise, better than most of the horror films I have seen in the last 10 years, with one of my favorite current artists refining his style even more. I am giving this a buy it. Yes, I liked it too. And at first, uh, at first though, I was like, 
why why do we need the near future thing? Like, what are we really adding to the proceedings? But after hearing you talk about it, I, I thought about it, and I agree that it does add something because there is a there's a story reason why they have to go to this place and why they have to go now. Yeah, and but yeah, the, so there is a reason why is the near future climate disaster part of it is part of the plot, not just window dressing. And so, yeah, I thought this was great. Andrea Andrea Moody's art is fantastic. God, I lo- I love Andrea. He's so Moody. good. I, I think that, and I agree. Like I love the transition from you know real world or safe normal no ghosts right right to. We are in the shit now, and things are very spooky. I, I love that kind of transition between the two. And Moody definitely doing some digital work here. No question. There's like an airport that is definitely digitally dropped in here, but he affects it such that it works with this style. And unless you really look at it, you probably wouldn't even notice. Yes. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I see it now as well, but I didn't notice it when I read the comic. Exactly. And so- that's doing his job. Hey, guess what? You, you know, you did it. You yeah. did it. You did it right. And I mean, like, I, I kind of want to break you of, of this. Uh, it's not a crutch, but I want to break you of the habit of, of referring to digital trickery as like a separate thing because it's not, that's art. That's just how art is made. I don't disagree. I just don't want to notice. I, I, like, I understand that when something's done poorly, you point it out. Right. I just don't want to notice it. That's but that, that happens with traditional art as well. Sure. When something is done poorly, it's like, that didn't work. Well, yeah. And, and, and we call that out too. Like, why is he standing right, like but that? It, it, like, it's, <laughs> not, it's not, you know, like this does not work or not work because it's done digitally. It's Agreed. all done digitally. I guarantee it. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's just a, a matter of Moody mastering the tools and he did. It's great. I, this is a buy it for me. I really like it. Deep within a bleak and dismal swamp, hidden beneath its murky waters, lies the headquarters of the most sinister villains of all time. The two-headed nerd. My superhero high is crashing down because now I have to talk about Captain America Cold War Omega. Oh, spoiler. <laughs> Number one, it's a one-shot from Marvel Comics. Look, you guys know that I, we haven't been liking the Cold War the stuff. We talked about it many times. Uh, it's 40 pages for $4.99. How much was that flash issue? 40 pages? 48 pages? 48 for pages for $4.99. Well, okay, you know what? I'll allow it. It's within the margin of error. Sure. 40 pages for $4.99, not, out, not outrageous when every normal comic is $3.99. No, no. It's written by Jackson Lansing, Colin Kelly, and Tochi Onyabuchi. Art by Carlos Magno. Colors by Guru Effects. I'm not sure why they put the E in there because just putting FX solves the same problem, but it's fine. Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Cover by Patrick Gleason. Out of nowhere, Patrick Gleason just throwing Captain America a bone, I guess. Here's your solicit. Cold War finale. I'm going to end that with a question mark, though. White Wolf has unleashed an army of Dimension C monsters upon our world as a declaration of global war, and Team Cap's only hope to stop it is to take him down for good. Meanwhile, Bucky Barnes deploys his final chess piece, Ian Rogers himself, to turn the situation in his favor. Lifelong friends battle alongside mortal enemies and change the trajectory of their lives in this stunning conclusion. They didn't really spell favor that way. I just was trying to zhuzh it up a little bit. Oh, okay. This is zhuzhing it up, you know. 
Cold War stumbles towards the finish line, but falls down short of reaching an actual finale. Nothing is truly resolved with Steve's conflict with the Outer Circle in Sentinel of Liberty. We've got a big anniversary issue next month for that. And I guess whatever is happening with the White Wolf in Sam's book is resolved, but I can't really speak to that because I haven't been reading it. I can tell you that the White Wolf storyline comes to a definitive end. Any tension or excitement I should have felt is washed away when Steve literally explains the entire plot of the past year's worth of Cap stories for anyone that wasn't paying attention and the fact that none of it matters. We already know that there's a new Cap series on the horizon that has nothing to do with what's happening here. For what it's worth, Bucky explains how he was only pretending to turn evil this whole time. Again, though, at this point, who cares? Also, and this is neither here nor there, but every time I see a caption that says Zolandia, which is the city in Dimension Z, my brain reads it as Zoolandia, which immediately <laughs> makes me think of Zoolander. Okay. And it takes me right out of the story. It's like Zoolandia. Oh, God damn it. That's a me problem. I, I recognize that. Matt, I know you like Carlos Magno's I art, do. but this, this issue does not look good. I'll be the first to admit this is not him at his best. Magno's depictions of the main characters are just downright ugly to my eye. Crowded fight scenes are a jumble of shapes which aren't done any favors by the White Wolf's army of identically dressed blobs of silly body. Parts of some scenes are so heavily obscured by shadows that it looks like Magno just covered up anything he didn't want to actually draw. Captain America Cold War took two great tastes, Sentinel of Liberty and Symbol of Truth, and combined them into something that definitely did not taste great together. This Omega issue is a disappointing end to a disappointing crossover, which is a shame because the individual titles had so much promise on their own. I'm giving this a leave it. Cold War made me angry. I, I hated it. It This whole thing, Carlos Magno did draw the alpha, and I'm looking at All right, at well, it. then that's fair enough, I and guess, the alpha, this issue looks like trash. The alpha issue looks a lot better. I think this whole thing was rushed. I don't know what happened. I can't, I don't have any evidence, but I feel like something either went wrong with sales or they decided we want to hurry up and restart Captain America. Let's get this shit over. Well, with. I mean, that can't, it can't be like these books are done months in advance. I just like, that doesn't I mean it, and it was over. Like it was only six chapters. That doesn't mean it wasn't rushed months in advance too, because they wanted to get something out. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, mean, I, I guess but it started so strong and they built this thing and now we end with, Oh, Bucky was faking it. Oh, the white wolves, uh, that's taken care of. Oh, everything just done. I mean, I was you expecting, know? I like, we've, if, if, if you read Sentinel of Liberty, you know that Bucky is playing them from the inside. And yeah, he's seemingly doing shady things. I suppose, things, but they Steve's didn't not, set it up that way initially. And I think they could. They I, did, though. In Sentinel of Liberty, they did. No, but we what all, I'm saying like, is. You know from the jump that Bucky takes that role to take down the outer circle. Right. But then he does some things that go well beyond him just taking that role. And it becomes sure, a yeah. whole different aspect of the story where it looks like they are really going to butt some heads. This is bad. Like, and then it turns out like, nah, it was fine. All done. Don't worry about it. I'm out of here. You know? Oh, like, yeah. And then he teams up with a guy that clearly only wants to be a super villain. Yeah. And he's just like, and then is surprised when the guy betrays him. There's like, no the payoff. That's what I'm saying. Like you built this stuff up and then you rushed it so fast. There was no payoff. And even the art looks rushed to me. This will leave it. This is just bad. It, the I event think it, fell apart. It just fell apart. And I wonder I if they forced them 
to tie these stories together when then that, that was not the plan initially. I wonder if they forced them to push I mean, them maybe, into one. I don't know. Maybe they did. And it just I, I got no crushed. Clue. You know, it, it just because didn't work. Sentinel of Liberty is over. And there's at least one more issue of Symbol of Truth coming yeah. out. And then it's Captain America 750. Right. And it, it just, I don't know. And it didn't work. It, and we, again, we don't know anything. We're spitballing here. But it sure right. feels like they maybe came to him like, hey, guys, we've got a great idea. Make your stories work together. We're going to end them like this. And they went. Okay. <laughs> whatever deci- whatever decisions they made that led to this were bad ones. Yeah. And let me tell you what, the fact that the white wolf, when he is exposed to the throne of Zoolandia, turns into a f-ing werewolf yeah. is the dumbest thing I've ever- Come like, on. C- why? Yeah. Why? Because his name is White Wolf. Fight That's that stupid. urge. Fight that urge. <laughs> He's not even a wolf person. He's just a guy. I think I'm done with superheroes for the day, Joe. We're going to go to Queen of Swords, a barbaric story. Number one It's a new miniseries. This is from Fault 42 pages, 499. So we're seeing a, we're seeing a pattern here. Written by Michael Morrissey, covered by KJ Diaz, art by- A, d- a downward trend, if you will. <laughs> covered by KJ Diaz, art by Corin Howell, with colors by Kike Diaz. And letters by Jim Campbell. Here's your solicit. Spinning out of the pages of Barbaric comes an all-new standalone rip-roaring fantasy adventure filled with mayhem, humor, and and a bloodthirsty weapon that just won't stop talking. Sarah is a witch with a checkered past. Kaz, an assassin with an agenda all her own. And Deadheart is a barbarian who wants to bash everybody in her path. They'll have to unite their unique skills to track down a powerful foe who's tied their lives together. Get ready to meet your new favorite instrument of death. The evil Kabar, whose spirit is now trapped in Deadheart's sword. Discover the origin of the dark magic that turns Soren into the tattooed witch she is today. In this totally new story, the perfect place to step into the world of barbaric for the first time. This spins out of the pages of Morrissey's recent barbaric Hell to Pay miniseries, but like the solicit says, you really don't need to have read anything to have fun with this one. Queen of Swords fleshes out some of the newer characters in this barbaric universe. Corin Howell has a blast drawing these ladies in action. And if you loved Owen and his talking acts, wait till you meet Deadheart, who's actually quite aloof and sort of loves her life as a barbarian and her misogynistic talking sword that just like cannot stand that a woman is wielding it. <laughs> yeah, the thing is that she's not cursed. Like, Owen is, like, cursed, right? Yeah, you no, know, she it, just it, found it. But she just has this yeah, magic she's sword. just got yeah. it. Howell's so a- her, life, her life rules. Yeah. Howell's action and violence is top-notch, which is important for a gory adult fantasy comic, but she's also really great in, like, the creepy and the sexy scenes, too. Morrissey's story may be focusing on a group of heroines, but it's not any less macho, action-packed, filthy, violent, and fun as we've come to expect from Barbaric. I am giving this a buy it. Uh, Gabar does not, in fact, have a mouth. Zero stars. Leave it. It's an eyeball. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I, I joked last week that the, the talking sword better have a mouth like the axe does because I just think that's really funny. However, Gabar is rad. He's hilarious. I love 
that he just is constantly shitting on Dead Heart the entire time. He's like, you're stupid and I hate you. Oh, but yeah, let's fight those guys. Yeah, 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 great. Swing me. Also, like, like, straight up, he's like, well, you're just a girl. You can't do that. He's like, oh, wow. Yeah, right. Really strong. (laughs) That was actually really good. But anyway, you suck. (laughs) It's so it's so much fun. The art's fantastic. This was a great read. It's a buy it for me. You said it all, really. It's Michael Morisi's barbaric world that, that he has created, the barbaric universe, like for lack of a better term, is just so much fun. And there's not a ton of it, and it doesn't require a ton of investment. It's just like, yeah, it's barbaric with the guy and the axe and a couple of and a witch girl and whatever. It's easy to drop in and out of. It really, you should drop in and stay in, though. You shouldn't be like me and only read the number ones every single time. Because every time I do this, every time we do this, I end up loving it. And I, I love this. Yeah. It's a buy it. I read them all. I ordered the hardcover, the first stuff. Can't wait. Let's shift gears from fantasy to sci-fi with Void Rivals number one. Certainly the most surprising comic of the week. Certainly nobody had any idea what was about to happen. It's from Image Comics. It's 32 pages for $3.99. It's written by Robert Kirkman with art by Lorenzo De Felici. Colors by Matheos Lopez. Letters by Russ Wooten with a cover by De Felici. Here is your solicit. Series premiere. The blockbuster Oblivion Song team of Robert Kirkman and Lorenzo De Felici debuted the biggest new comic book series of 2023 with the launch of an all-new shared universe and a surprise you won't see coming. Yeah, sure. War rages around the Sacred Ring, where the last remnants of two worlds have collapsed around a black hole in a never-ending war. However, when pilot Darak and his rival Solila both crash on a desolate planet, these two enemies must find a way to escape together. But are they alone on this strange planet? And what dark forces await that threaten the entire universe? All right, well, the secret is out. Robert Kirkman, his various collaborators, and Hasbro have somehow managed to stealth launch an all-new shared universe that incorporates Transformers, G.I. Joe, and Void Rivals, which, fun fact, is also owned by Hasbro. Despite oh. being created Yeah, despite being created by Kirkman and Dave Felici. So how did nobody make that connection? <laughs> it's at the I mean, it was probably on one of the redacted pages in the preview. But at the very end, it's got the little trademark that's like Void I mean, Rivals, copyright TM. I guess I just Hasbro. didn't know that, yeah, Void Rivals was a Hasbro thing. I didn't it, know. It's not a Hasbro thing. Oh, it it's is a brand new thing it created now. by Kirkman and DeFelici. Gotcha. That is, that Hasbro, like they commissioned it, or I don't know how it works, maybe part of the deal gotcha. to get Transformers was like, you need to create this new IP for us. I don't know. Who knows? According to Kirkman's letter in the back of the issue, the debut of the Energon universe is an event two years in the making. You'll notice the cover has a big EU under the image logo. It stands for Energon universe. Everyone involved in making this managed to keep it a secret until some big mouth retailer blabbed it to the internet's biggest comic industry gossip pound late last week. Needless to say, the hype behind this development is huge, but is Void Rivals number one actually any good if you set all that baggage aside? Yeah, uh, yes. Kirkman establishes a plot that's very reminiscent of the sci-fi classic Enemy Mine, which Matt and I both adore. I knew you were going to go there, too. I knew you you knew I would. With a dash of saga thrown in for spice, enemies from two warring races crash land on a barren planet, must work together to survive, etc., etc., to make their way off of this lifeless rock. Well, 
mostly lifeless. Kirkman excels at breathing fresh life into a well-worn concept like the talking robot hand that literally drags its unconscious owner to safety. That scene was wonderful. That was great. It was very, yeah. very inventive. Kirkman and Dave Felici do a great job setting up the conflict between the marooned survivors before the big reveal halfway through this issue. Dave Felici's art, gorgeous. We were huge fans of his previous series, Chroma, so we knew that we would be in for a treat here. He paints the picture of a truly desolate world that adds to the sense of hopelessness felt by the survivors, and he manages to bring emotion, somehow, to the expressionless surface of their environment masks. I was very impressed by that. Yeah. Void Rivals number one barely scratches the surface of this new world that Kirkman is promising. I accidentally typed Hickman. And despite the hype, I'm eager to learn more about Derek, Solila, and the Sacred Ring. Given this a buy it. If you subtract all of the Transformers-y stuff, I thought this was still a solid read. That That's exactly what I was going to say. And there maybe like you could look at this and say, well, is that it? Like, am I going to come back and read this if I'm excited about the Transformers? Or am I like, yeah, I will. I didn't need that. Like, I honestly didn't need that. The story was good enough that I want to see where this goes. Is this part of the Energon universe EU we're calling it or whatever in the sense that like there will be more interplay? I don't know. Maybe that's it. Uh, I mean, Kirk, <laughs> Kirkman, Kirkman more or less says yes. Yeah, I, I probably, but it's almost not important is what I'm saying. Even on its own right. great book, giving it a buy it. Dave Felici, man. Love that guy. Yeah. And this is way looser than what he did in Chroma. Chroma was super Yes, it's very different. And also, like, the colors, you know, Chroma was obviously a book that was, like, black and white for the most part until we get to the stuff with the girl with the color. And, you know, so that was a style. This is just, like, it's full color, but it's, like, bleak because they're on a desolate planet that's nothing but dust and ruins. I love the way he draws outer space. It's It's awesome. All the stars are all jumbled up. It's great. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Gorgeous. Uh, remember when I said I was done with superheroes? Uh, yeah. I got one yeah, more. One more and that's it. I promise. This is Black Panther. Number one It's from Marvel. It's 32 pages for four ninety nine. Yeah, that's kind of bucking the system here. We're, so. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of <laughs> spraying from we're all our, over the place. Yeah. This, our goodwill is fading away. This is written by Eve Ewing with cover by Torin Clark. Again, busy week for Torin. Art by Christopher Allen. Inks by Craig Ewan and Christopher Allen. Colors by Jesus Abertov. And letters... By another victorious cockblocker, Joe Sabino. Here is your oh, wait. Just to be just to be clear, so that I have it straight in my head going forward. You're saying victorious, right? Yeah. Victorious cockblocker. Victorious cockblock. Like you did not it. Victoria's cockblock. No, no, no. Victorious. You did it. You cockblock. I get that it. Guy. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Here is your solicit. A king without a crown. Banished from the throne and a fugitive in his own homelands, T'Challa still can't leave Wakanda without its sworn protector. A king without a crown, he finds new purpose lurking the streets and shadows of the Wakandan city that bears his father's name. Berin T'Chaka! New direction, new villains, new creative team. Get in on the ground floor of Marvel's next smash hit! Will do! When looking at the preview material for this book especially the new suit. I can't say I was real excited for Black Panther does Batman, but within the first four pages, this creative team hooked me. Christopher Allen is a new name to me, but his art is tremendous. 
The yes, le- very good. The level of detail and creativity in his paneling are mind-blowingly good. It's one of those things where while I was reading it, I thought to myself, I really hope this guy can keep this up, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it right, looks like yeah, it took yeah. a while. The, yeah. fir- the first splash page of T'Challa in his new suit sold me. It just sold me on the new status quo instantly. I loved it. Ewing sets up T'Challa's vigilante story in the wake of recent events really well and shows readers a side of Wakanda we've never visited. All the previous Black Panther stories took place in or around the royal capital, sure, but Ewing is telling a story about what happens away from the capital in the wake of Wakanda losing its king and the darker elements that sort of swoop in to fill that power vacuum. This new Black Panther story is off to an excellent start that's set up really well for new readers or fans of the previous John Ridley run. I am giving this a buy it. Yeah, man. I thought this was great. You know, you and I, we read Eve L. Ewing's Monica Rambeau number one. Yeah. Monica Rambeau photon number one. We didn't love it. And so when it was announced that Eve Ewing was the writer of the new Black Panther relaunch, both of us were kind of like, well. Yeah, wasn't excited. We'll see. We'll see. And also, we didn't really love the new costume. We were like, I, I, I'm, we weren't sold on any of it. Everything about this issue completely put all of those thoughts out of my mind. Yeah. Ewing's story is wonderful. The costume is cool as hell. And the artist, new to me as well, fantastic stuff. Fantastic. The backgrounds are extraordinary they are so full of life and detail and something that i really appreciated about this comic is something that i think never occurred to me i've read a lot of black panther comics but like you said if it's not taking place somewhere else in the world or out in the you know tribal countryside or in or it's in the throne city. It's in the capital yeah, city. It's, yeah. You don't think Wakanda has more than one city? Of course it does. And so for T'Challa to say, well, yeah, I'm exiled. So I'm just going to go hide out in a city that's, it's like running, it's like Daredevil running away to San Francisco, right? Sort of. Yeah. I'm going to leave my normal place and go to this new place. And it's so good. It's so good. And it's so different from the throne, from the capital city, because it's not opulent and, you, you know, you like utopian. It's kind of futuristic. Yeah, but it's also kind of shady. It's not a great place. It's like Wakanda's Gotham City. Sort of. Yeah. The, not to, there not was to lean a lot back of, into the Batman thing. But that's what you can't help but, but think that while you it, read it. It's just like it. Not every place in Wakanda is a utopian style place. And. I liked that. I liked that a lot. This is a huge buy it. Well done, everybody. We've got links in our show notes for more details on these comics, but now it's time to pick the one comic that stood out as the best and wasn't completely spoiled by the jackasses at BleedingCool.com. Matt, which one of these comics are you putting in the THN Permanent Collection? I am going to go with Haunt You to the End, but it's close because Loki was right behind Right behind I just think Loki doesn't need me. <laughs> Loki's going to be fine. Loki's got a TV show coming and stuff like that. I love Andrea Moody. So friggin' talented. And like, if it was a battle of 
artists this week, that's tough because Dave Felice and Void Rivals looked absolutely kick-ass. This new guy in Black Panther is friggin' amazing. But I think haunt you to the end. Premise, art, full package. Got me. Yeah, fair. Excellent pick. For me, it's Flash 800 because the heart wants what the heart wants. And you and I kind of approach these things differently. Like you said, Loki doesn't need the help. Well, that's not what it's about. It's about what I thought was the best. Sure. Which one was my favorite? It's Flash 800. Hands down, there was, it was no contest. Yeah, I just think about this stuff more. That's... No, that's not it at all. It's just that you don't understand the concept of favorite. With our reviews now up on the internet to embarrass us for all time, we hang our heads and trudge to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where the secrets of next week's comics await! Joe, what do you say we embarrass ourselves even further with our must-read picks for next week? What should these listeners be picking up next New Comic Book Day, Wednesday, June 21st? I hope you're happy. I said the whole goddamn thing. Thank you. Yeah. And you didn't, you know, lose any time doing so. My pick for next week is Ultimate Invasion, number one, from Marvel Comics. Oh, here it is. It's eight ninety nine. Yeah. I don't know how many pages it is, because they don't always tell you. It's written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Brian Hitch, and here is your solicit. The transformation of the Marvel Universe begins. Superstar creators Jonathan Hickman and Brian Hitch team up. Oh, exclamation point. Sorry, I thought that there was going to be a comma and, and more there. The Illuminati must form once again to stop the maker from his plans to destroy or perhaps rebuild the universe with Miles Morales at the center of it all. Brian's work on The Ultimates helped redefine superhero comics for the 2000s. Wait until you see what he and Jonathan have in store for this decade. Spoiler alert, it's the return of the Ultimate Universe. They didn't even wait for this comic to come out before saying so. There was no time. Yeah, I don't know. This includes new data pages by Jonathan Hickman, everybody's favorite part, (laughs) plus exclusive behind-the-scenes material on the world-building that has gone into this project. You know what? That's fun. I mean, if there's a lot of content in here, $8.99, whatever. Sure, sure. I only read it for the data pages anymore. That's all I care about. Sure. The rest I only read it for the exclusive behind-the-scenes material. The story is irrelevant. (laughs) I barely care. They're going to have to sell me on this. I barely care. I mean, it's Hickman, though, right? I so get it. I, I get I, it. I care because it's Hickman. I, 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 if it were written by anybody else, if it were written by you, like, if it were written, written by Mark Wade, I'd be like, mm, the Ultimate Universe again, really, Mark? But it's written by Hickman. I know. I just barely, and so, I barely care. <laughs> okay, your loss, I guess. It's but, the Ultimate Universe. I mean, like, ugh, we did this, and, and it, but and it's, it's so not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same Ultimate Universe. Great. It is a new Ultimate Universe. Good. That's, and that's what I need. <laughs> at the we'll very see. least i'm expecting an entertaining story yeah so. i have the feeling it'll be entertaining i just whatever my pick for next week is wild's end and no joe patrick it's not incredible hulk not because i don't think i'm gonna enjoy the incredible hulk i think incredible hulk's gonna be fine oh, it's because incredible hulk doesn't need your help doesn't right? need it wild's end yeah. probably does it's from boom it's 499 it's written by dan abnett uh with art by inj colbard a name we have not mentioned for a while who is very Friggin' good. Love that artist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Here's your solicit. Journey to alien-occupied interwar England, courtesy of award-winning creative team of Dan Abnett, who worked in Warhammer 40K, wrote a bunch of great Warhammer 40K books too, and Immortal Red Sonia, and INJ Colbard, who worked on Salamandre and Tales from the Umbrella Academy. With Nick Abnett providing additional material out at sea during the invasion, our intimate crew of unlucky voyagers returns to a world they once knew. Their once cozy seaside home, now occupied by alien invaders! Combining a rich cast of anthropomorphized characters in the tradition of Black Sad and aliens unlike any you've ever seen in the spirit of War of the Worlds meets Wind in the Willows. Wild End is a world unlike any other one you won't want to leave. Love this artist. Love this writer. And I love this premise. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. fight it. I read this one. Give it to me. I got to do this. This looks great. I think it's uh, I think it's fun that uh, Dan Abnett's uh, wife is helping out. Nick Nick Abnett is, is his lady friend, his wife. Oh, okay. Yeah, his his wife or partner. I'm, and I, I guess I'm not sure if they're yeah, married. Careful there. Her name is Nick, Nick <laughs> but, I mean, her name is Nick Abnett. Oh, so. All right. But I but that's cool, man. It's it's a family affair. Yeah, you had me at Dan Abnett. I and Jake Hallbard, fantastic artist. Yeah. Should be great. The THN trade of the week for June 21st is the Unwritten Compendium Volume 1 from DC Comics Black Label, originally published by Vertigo. Yeah, I was like, why is it's this Black by- Label now? <laughs> really? Well, because there is no Vertigo. I guess. So, you know, they're putting it out under the imprint that they have. It's written by Mike Carey with art by Peter Gross and Various. It's 896 pages for $59.99. That is so many pages. Here's your solicit. Boy wizard Tommy Taylor is the main character in a series of fantasy novels by author Wilson Taylor that have become a cultural phenomenon. However, as a result of Tommy's success, the real Tom Taylor, the son Wilson long abandoned, is worshipped worldwide as a literary legend made flesh. And as Tom's life begins to take on eerie and deadly parallels with Tommy's, He's drawn into a strange literary underworld where the power of storytelling is as strong as any spell. The first book in a series of two compendiums collects the unwritten one through 30, plus the original graphic novel, the unwritten colon Tommy Taylor and the ship that sank twice. We loved the unwritten around these, these parts. Yeah. Holy cow. I mean, that book ended a long, long time ago. It's so good. (laughs) The unwritten is one of the last great, long-running series at Vertigo. I think that's Vertigo fair to say. Yeah. Shattered it up, shuttered up the windows. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. If you've never read The Unwritten, check this out because $59.99, $59.99, yeah, it sounds like a lot. 896 pages. Also, Come the, on. the art is just amazing. Peter Gross, so Peter Gross is friggin' good. Oh, my God. Phenomenal. This is a gorgeous comic book. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. If you want to read these comics along with us, be sure to add them to your profile. It's the right thing to do. And let us know what you're excited to read in the new comics section of our Discord. And let us know, is $4.99 too much? Is $3.99 the sweet spot? Is $8.99 absolutely insane when you're only putting out 42 pages? I mean, what do you guys think? Well, we don't know how many pages it is, to be fair. But it is $8.99. You're on your toilet screaming, how much longer can this show be? Is that where they're listening from? <laughs> I, I think uh, the majority of our listeners are listening on the gross. toilet. <laughs> look, man. Everybody poops. Oh, you guys are gross. Not me. It, look, uh, only uh, five minutes longer, I promise. I haven't pooped in five years. 
It might be the best five minutes of the show because we're giving you a sampling of our THN Extra that you can get full access to when you support THN on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. That's right. The best five minutes of the show is the five-minute tease of the thing that you can't get on the regular show. Cough it up, baby. This is capitalism. That's how it works. We can't. We can't. We appreciate Shut all the commie mouth. Welcome to your THN Patreon Extra for the week. Today, we have a very important job. It's time to play TLDR, where we break down an event, a miniseries, into bite-sized chunks, so you know the important stuff. And this week, we have the job of discussing Marvel's 2008 event. Was it a summer event? It was a summer event, right? I mean, most events are in the summer. Yeah, I think it was their summer event. Secret Invasion. You may have heard about most, it. Most line-wide crossovers are in the summer because that's, True. you know, blockbuster time. Secret Invasion, you've probably heard of it. There is a TV show coming, and we wanted to prepare you by letting you know all the stuff that they cannot possibly do in the Disney Plus show that happened in the comics. <laughs> I mean, time will tell. This is a yeah. big one. Well, I have a feeling, you know, Wolverine's not going to play a big part of the TV show. <laughs> yeah, like Norman Osborn. Norman, Norman Osborn probably isn't going to show up. Probably not, yeah. but we'll get into that. Joe Patrick, mm-hmm. before we can even start, though, it, let's give these kids a primer of where the Marvel Universe was in 2008, because there was big shit going on. <laughs> really? Like, I forgot when I went back to read this. I was like, oh, yeah, this is right well, after the Civil War. Well, yeah, I mean, it was a year after Civil War. It was yeah. the following. It was the the crossover from the following year. And so, yeah, the. The status quo of our heroes and our villains uh, was in a much different place, but we'll get there. This primer actually begins long before that in terms of continuity. 1971, I believe, is where like uh, the seeds of this story start. Sort of, yeah. After the Kree-Skrull War, the aforementioned 1971 storyline, the Illuminati decided to travel to the Scroll Throne world and warn them not to involve Earth in their struggles ever again. Okay, hold However, on. However... Who dis Illuminati you're talking about? All right, yes. Uh, I believe this was... All, I think this was also leading up to Civil War. The Illuminati was introduced as a group of the Marvel Universe's biggest heroic-ish movers and shakers. Right, the big brains. The guys that decided that they know better than everybody else, and so they would have secret meetings and plot the course of of their world. And this is a for Bendis, better or for worse. This is a Bendis thing too. He it was a, a, a Brian a BMB uh, a BMB joint. The Illuminati was Reed Richards, Tony Stark, Doctor Strange, Professor X, Black Bolt, uh, Namor, Black Panther. No, Black Panther told him no way. Remember? You're right. Black Panther told him. Black no Panther way. was like, they invited him, and he was like, get uh, out of yeah, here. Yeah, but he joins the Illuminati later. Though. He later he, during on he does. H- yeah. in Hickman stuff. He's in the yeah. Illuminati. Um, and so yeah, it's like you know, it's kind of the leaders of all your big branches of of the Marvel universe. Right. Your your heroy stuff, your your super uh, your magicy stuff, your underwater stuff, mutant stuff, Inhumans. You know. Yeah. I mean, come on, Black Bolt. He's and important. yeah, I mean, yes, yeah, Black Bolt's important. Uh, especially important, <laughs> it turns out, to this storyline. However, 
because of their own hubris or their their confidence in their own abilities, uh, the Illuminati were captured and experimented on. Yeah. As soon as they arrived on the Scroll Throne World, they showed up and they're and like, "You, you jackasses, ever come to Earth again? And so help us, we will whip your hey! What are you doing? Ow, ow!" <laughs> they yeah. like, got taken immediately. <laughs> uh, the Illuminati eventually escaped. Obviously, sometime later, where this would be the 1980s, the Scroll Homeworld, the original Homeworld, Tarnax Four, was destroyed by Galactus. And then even later, much of the rest of the Empire was decimated by the Annihilation Wave. And so, with no home and a long-standing grudge against the superhuman populace of Earth, the Skrulls were pushed to the edge. Thus, the secret invasion of Earth began. I mean, anybody would, right? It's crazy. They, the Skrulls went I, through a lot. Come they on. were mad as hell, and they weren't going to take it anymore. Yeah, and they turned into religious zealots. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, it's kind of strange because the the sect, the the, the scrolls that end up being uh, the primary villains were some super religious offshoot that didn't necessarily yeah. represent the larger scroll government. But that's kind of the point, right? Is that they were fractured. The right. scrolls were fractured because they had their planet got eaten, etc. Et so very much like the scrolls in the MCU, there's good ones and bad ones, right? Sure. Okay. Mostly bad, but yes, yeah. um, there are certainly scrolls that, that aren't evil in, in, in the comics. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> that is it for THN 707, and next week, the Cosmic Longbox returns, forcing us to talk about back-issue comics, but it's so excited for Disney's Secret Invasion, it's picked a theme for us that's uh, a little green around the gills. When scrolls attack! So we're going to be talking about, you know, when those shape-changing jerks come and fight your favorite superheroes in the I'm meantime. pretty I'm pretty proud of the uh, Cosmic Longbox for getting its shit together and letting us know well ahead of time. It's trying to keep, yeah, right? Thank you. We appreciate it. In the meantime, check out our Nerd News Recap Show, hitting your feed every other Monday. And join us for the Teach-In Cover-to-Cover Gang Hang on Saturdays at 11 o'clock Central. Check out our Discord for details. Joe Patrick, what else do kids tend to do at our Discord? Hey, maybe you think that the Birds of Prey isn't a team without bags. I don't. Perhaps. I agree. Perhaps you're willing to bet your nerd rep on the MCU changing direction from the Kang Dynasty. So it's or a brave bet. It's a brave bet. Maybe you just want to answer the question of the week. And here is this week's question. Now that G.I. Joe and the Transformers have a new home at Skybound, are you excited? Were you a fan of the IDW stuff and you want to check out more? You're hungry for more? Are you a lapsed fan that's excited to check out a fresh start? Do you even care at all? Be sure to answer our super scientific poll as well. I think it's the first Doesn't question of the week poll we've ever had. No, it's not. We've done polls before done because polls. I remember making... Not part of the question I'm, of the week. I remember making fun of how it's just a thumbs up, thumbs down, and how it's so easy to... Yeah, that's why it's super scientific, Joe. I mean, right. <laughs> there's no margin of error. Sure, sure, right, yeah. <laughs> so just look for the thumbs up, thumbs down thing about the Transformers in the, T in the uh, THN Discord question of the week channel. Uh, please do hit us with your own question of the week suggestions. Uh, look, I'm going to be real frank with you guys, and I know that we give you a lot of crap for... Um, a lot of different things and I know that we also blow a lot of smoke up your butt for supporting the show and deserving extra content but butts. you're re blow smoke up your ass that's the phrase I was just trying to be classy about it but you guys are really slacking in the question of the week department 
I we have had to come up with our own question of the week for like at least the last month. Yeah. And I we are running on empty. Sign up for our Discord with the link at toitednerd.com slash Discord, where we've got channels for all of our segments. Or you can send an MP3 to toitednerd at gmail.com. We'll put you on the show, just like Matt said. If you're new to the show and you're already tired of Joe's butt and toilet humor, I assure you it's only because you just haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at toitednerd.com. Be warned, there's a lot more butt and toilet humor. But... THN is a listener-supported podcast. It wouldn't be possible without the generosity of donors like our patron, the perfectly alliterated David Desmond. I think that's such a great comic book name, David Desmond. I know, it's great. If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show just like the alliterated David Desmond did. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash to it. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Barry Windsor-Smith, legendary writer and artist of Conan the Barbarian, Weapon X, Solar, Man of the Atom, and so much more. News has only just hit that Barry Windsor-Smith suffered an ischemic stroke on May 20th, five days before his 73rd birthday. After eight days in the ICU and a number of weeks in rehab, he's been released from the hospital and is slowly recovering at home in New York, Word to you, Mr. Windsor Smith. I'm always kind of confused about how you say your name. Do you say Windsor Smith? Yeah, Mr. Windsor Smith. That's, how, that's what it goes Smith. by. You would say Windsor Smith. That's right. what he goes by. Mr. Windsor Smith, thank you. Everyone in the Ziggurat is sending you love and hoping for a full and speedy recovery. We love you, BWS. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer might just stop putting up with your BWS. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Full wicked shit, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Full, 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 full wicked shit. Enough of your full wicked shit. <laughs>